Today's gospel is from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds into the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Brian. You may be seated. Grace to you this morning in peace from God, our Creator, and from Jesus Christ. Our church is in the middle of our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Each one of the four Gospels presents a slightly different picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And Matthew is often called the teaching gospel because it is organized around five major speeches and teachings that Jesus gives. The first time Jesus teaches in this gospel is the famous Sermon on the Mount where he gives straightforward words about morality and prayer and blessing and forgiveness. The second address given to his disciples before he sends them out to preach the gospel, is equally clear, filled with instructions and packing lists and warnings about the dangers that lie ahead. We're now reading from the middle of Jesus' third big teaching moment, but this time he is not quite as direct. This time he teaches in stories called parables, some of which are very involved with plots and character development, and others are only a sentence long or no more than a simple image. But all of them 
are confusing. None of them means just one thing. This is an intentional move on Jesus' part. Jesus is is both human and divine, and so Jesus, on the one hand, knows God's abundant and loving heart and knows that the world was made and declared unabashedly good. Jesus is aware of God's intention for each one of us, that this life that we live should primarily be an experience of a sense of wonder awakening within each one of us to the mystery and glory of getting to exist at all. And Jesus also knows what it's like to be human. He knows that we have some habits that get in the way of living life as that unfolding journey of grace and astonishment that God intends. Specifically, Jesus knows that we as humans, we tend to want to be right all the time. And Jesus knows that we want once and for all answers to our questions. And so, and Jesus knows that those impulses keep us from that abundant life, that entering into the mystery of existence that God is setting before us. So this is why Jesus teaches in parables. He's trying to disrupt us, trying to confound these habits, to expose these impulses to ourselves. Now, if you're reading a parable correctly, it's not like reading any other short story, because it feels less like you're figuring something out about the text in front of you, and it feels more like figuring out something about yourself and about the assumptions that you carry with you on a regular basis. It's important to know this about parables before we delve too deep when we read the Bible, or otherwise our impulses to be right all the time and to know everything once and for all, they're going to sneak into the driver's seat of our mind and they're going to interpret Jesus' words for us and get it wrong. Let's examine this parable from two ways. One from our impulse to be right all the time and one from a different place of what Jesus might be trying to disrupt and interrupt in our lives. The parable is straightforward, it seems. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like someone sowing good seed in a field, but then an enemy comes and sows weeds by the cover of night. When the plants come up, the servants want to remove the weeds right away, but the master says no. Taking out the weeds may uproot the good wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time, and then we'll separate them. The good plants will keep, and the bad ones will burn. If we're letting our need to be right all the time about ourselves and the world, if we're letting that drive our interpretation of the story, it's a very, very straightforward parable, isn't it? (laughs) Because we say there are good people, there are bad people, God accepts the good ones, God rejects the bad ones, and some sort of heaven and hell, eternal punishment and reward kind of arrangement. The problem with this interpretation is that all it does 
is feed our need, our endless need to be right about ourselves and the world. When we see the parable like this, we become so quick to presume who is wheat and who is weeds. And we could tell you exactly who the weeds are, right? (laughs) And we could probably tell you that we are among the good wheat. That's just what we do with Jesus' words. I heard a political analyst speak several years ago, and he said that he's found that one of the most effective messages that politicians of all stripes use to campaign boils down to, you are all good people, but somebody bad is out there and they are to blame for your problems. Immigrants, bankers, the other party, terrorists, the media, Muslims, the elite. Choose your scapegoat. The message is the same, and it's powerful. There's a rush that we get when we think of ourselves as righteous and innocent people, harmed and threatened by scary and bad and different others. It taps into this need that we have to be right, which makes us feel secure. But it does miss the life that God longs for us to have. God intends this whole world as a gift. And that includes other people, whether or not we like them. Seeing other people as a threat or as morally repugnant is actually turning down God's invitation to abundant life and God's invitation to live into the mystery of existence. Before she died in 2014, Maya Angelou reflected on her life in these words. She said, I'm aware that I am a child of God. It's such an amazing understanding to think that the it which made fleas and mountains and rivers and stars made me. And then I also have to know that the brute, the bigot, and the batterer are all children of God as well, and I'm supposed to treat them accordingly. Maya Angelou, a Christian woman, undoubtedly read this scripture in her life. And she saw no need to separate weeds from wheat. What else might she have seen here? Why else might Jesus have told a story like this? What happens when we grow curious about this parable and let it reveal our own assumptions to us? One thing you should know is that the Greek word for weed that is used here isn't a general word. It refers to a very, very specific type of plant. This type of plant looks identical to wheat until just before harvest time. This is important because sometimes we read this text and we think that the danger about pulling out the weeds right away is that The roots are tangled up and you're going to uproot both plants at once. But that is not the danger in this parable. The danger that Jesus is pointing out is that we can't actually tell the difference. (laughs) 
We don't know what is wheat and what is weed. It is not our job to know what is wheat and what is weed. That falls to the farmer. And when we try to do the sorting, we get it wrong. We will inevitably go overboard and discard some good seed right along with the weeds we are trying to uproot. So this parable that Jesus tells us, it actually carries the exact opposite meaning that is traditionally assigned it. Because we want it to be about our innocence and the sins of others, but it's actually a tale about our inability to properly tell good from evil and our warped desire to rush in and pronounce pronounce judgment on others. This parable is about the wisdom of God, which is not like human wisdom. God's wisdom values patience and has a willingness to give things time to grow. God is like a farmer who is not eager in any sort of way to sort and separate and judge, and who knows that what might look weedy to us may very well end up bearing wheat in the end. And for those of us who are saying, yes, but there's still that awful sorting and burning at the end of the parable, let's remember two things. One is that is completely God's job and not ours. Our job that God has given us is to live into the mystery of existence. And two is that whenever, whenever we speak about God's judgment, we know as Lutheran Christians that God's mercy and love is stronger. We have great reason in our faith to hope that every person and all creation itself will be held forever in love by a God who never tires of showing mercy. All of this is lost on the disciples, of course. They want once and for all answers to their questions, and so they take Jesus aside. They take him privately, and they say, tell us what this means. Tell us everything. We're done with the ambiguity and metaphor. We want answers. I love asking questions about our faith. I think that that's probably the only way that our faith grows. But the spirit of the disciples' questions just seems off, doesn't it? St. Augustine, he said that a Christian should seek as expecting to find and find as expecting still to seek. We can spend a lifetime pondering God, and we still would not have come close to exhausting the subject. All of our questions about God should lead us into deeper mystery and more questions and more pondering. But the disciples seem to be asking questions so that they can squash the mystery altogether. They want answers that will allow them to stop thinking. And so Jesus obliges. He gives a pretty explicit allegory of the parable that sounds scary and judgmental and fatalistic. But let's remember again that we always read the Bible 
through the lens of the unending mercy of God, and that for God, judgment day doesn't lie in the future, but is something that has already happened on the cross of Jesus Christ, where God stretched out his arms in mercy toward the whole world. With that wider character of God in mind, we can look at Jesus' words a little bit differently. Because I can't help but wonder if Jesus is answering his disciples a little bit sarcastically here. His interpretation of his own parable is flat and boring, it's trite, it's uninspired, and maybe that's the point he's trying to make. Look, Jesus is saying, if you want answers that end your questions and doubts, they're going to feel like this. They're going to be unsatisfactory and one-dimensional like this. This is the logical conclusion to your anxious thinking and questioning that tries to flatten the mystery out of creation rather than step into it in wonder. Friends in Christ, the stories Jesus told are meant to be confusing. They're meant to be difficult. Let them confuse you. Do not try to be right. Don't try to get your questions answered. Let these ancient stories leave you perplexed. Wrestle with them. Learn about yourself. God will be with you as you step into that mystery. Amen.